Good morning, church. It is good to be with you, to see you again, and to have a couple more opportunities to share with you what God has laid on my heart. These past couple weeks, you've been hearing uh, what I've been calling some of my final thoughts for you uh, as your pastor. And uh, these, are, these are some things that I, I believe are, are really important, and, and they're really valuable. And the context for all this actually comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Everything that I'm sharing with you is something that Paul wrote to this church in Philippians because it was important to him too. He thought it was valuable for the church to hear these things. I, I shared with you a couple weeks ago, but it's worth being reminded of this morning, you know, Paul planted this church. He was very heavily invested in this church. The people were important to him. The ministry was important to him. And when he's writing to the church in Philippi, there were some outside voices that were beginning to speak into what was happening there. And, and that's to kind of make sure they were reminded of some very important things. These people from the outside, um, <clears throat> in this particular instance, were, were trying to tell the Philippians that there was more, there had to be more to their practice of faith. And, and, and in, in essence, they were trying to add to what I think is just the beautiful simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the first week, we talked about how Paul reminded, reminded us that the, the work of God uh, through us is not finished. It, it will continue. It must continue. It's never changed due to our personal circumstances. And my reminder to you, church, has been that regardless of what is happening here with my departure, with staff transitions and leadership, the work of God must go on and it will go on. The question becomes, do you want to be a part of it? Last week, uh, Paul reminded us that our lives must be worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. We talked about living worthy of the good news. And this good news is, is that your life has been radically changed by Jesus, and others' lives can be radically changed by Jesus as well. The good news is that you have been forgiven and redeemed and restored, and, and Jesus can forgive and redeem and restore everybody else. Paul says your lives must be a living demonstration of that truth, because not only have you experienced it, now that you are a, a citizen of this kingdom of God, you have an obligation and an opportunity to share the good news with the rest of the world. So this morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 as we continue to look and what Paul has to say. We're just going to look at the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 3 together this morning. This is what it says. Read with me. It says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Can I just read that one again? Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say that you must be circumcised to be saved. 
For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. You see, Paul says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault." I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything, is, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And for His sake, I've discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. For God's way of making us right with Him himself depends on faith. And I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. When I was Uh, much younger. Uh, I was in the Marine Corps. (laughs) And uh, one of the things that we had to do in the Marine Corps, it started in boot camp, was we had to repel. Anybody ever done any repelling? Anybody? Okay. Um, It's ridiculous. I don't know who does this stuff like for fun, voluntarily. Uh, then this picture I I found is actually a pretty accurate picture of of what I looked like, number one, and uh, what was going on below me is all the other recruits were hoping that I didn't die, Um, or maybe they wanted, I don't know, but (laughs) repelling is one of those things we had to learn in boot camp, and then we continued to do it all through my time in the the Corps, and you would repel off towers and and fast rope out of helicopters and and things like this, And, and, and I'll never forget the first time having to do this. The instructor there is at the top of the tower. He, he tells me exactly what I need to do, and I heard what he said. I, I comprehended what he said. I, I, I know what he told me, and I understood what he told me to do. But I still had a huge fear of relying on what I knew to be true. Because I had seen other guys go down the tower and do it with, with great success, I had seen that the rope could, could hold my weight. I, could, I had watched other recruits go off the side of that tower and just whoop. Right? I know that it worked. I know the method worked. And I heard everything he had to say. But when it came my time and he's like, okay, I just need you to lean back. I'm like, ha, 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 things that are not happening. <laughs> In that particular instance, I eventually did get there. It wasn't pretty. And after a while, I got better at it, but I never got past the fear of letting go, which is a part of repelling. At some point in repelling, you have to let go of what feels very natural to you and rely on what is around you. Rely on the rope, rely on the rigging, and trust that those things are going to work. 
And in the end, I learned that the methods that I was taught, they did actually work, but it took me a really long time to get there. And to be honest, the thought of it, it always terrifies me when I have to do it. I, I, I do have a, a real sense, a real fear of heights. And there are some things that I can do because I've done them over and over again. I can get on my roof. I can replace a shingle. I can get on a ladder and climb up here and replace a light. But my wife and I went to uh, Gatlinburg a couple years ago, and if you've ever been there, they have this suspended bridge with glass. Nope. <laughs> nope. That was a huge waste of 30 bucks. I said, you go on, babe. Enjoy yourself. I'm going to sit here in this chair. <laughs> the, the fear of letting go is something that exists in many of us. And perhaps it's not until we have been forced to let go because of our circumstances, circumstances of our own making or circumstances that others have made for us that we might get to the place where we eventually do put it all in the hands of somebody else. Sometimes it just happens out of sheer desperation that we have to let go. Now, Paul's not talking specifically about letting go of anything, but he is speaking directly about making the decision to trust someone else outside of our own abilities, outside of our own spiritual resumes, if you will. Paul is telling us that, that living out our faith is the single most important thing, knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus is the single most important thing. Nothing else matters. This is the crux of what Paul is saying. He says this right at the beginning, my, probably my favorite part, no matter what, never stop rejoicing. And I think this is kind of a difficult place to start for Paul, to just begin and say, hey, by the way, guys, no matter what you're dealing with, never stop rejoicing. But I think it's really important. You understand what Paul says? He says, I'm telling you this to safeguard your faith. And that word safeguard, it actually is translated as, as cautionary. He's trying to protect them from a possible danger or a failure. In other words, Paul is saying to us that if we don't choose the path of rejoicing in the midst of whatever it is that we're facing, whatever it is that life throws your way, if you don't choose that path of rejoicing, then you're running the risk of endangering your faith. This is going to become even clearer to us as we continue to dive into this passage, but I want to just settle here for just a moment and consider what Paul's saying. If you grew up in the church uh, or if you went to VBS as a kid, you probably remember the old song we used to sing, and we sang it in a round to make it even worse. But it went, you know, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Anybody know this? Rejoice in the Lord always. You guys say rejoice, rejoice. Really? couple of, yeah, okay, thank you. Participation's fun. Right, so this actually comes from Philippians chapter 4. Paul wrote this, and so I think it must have been pretty important to him, this whole idea of rejoicing, and I think it must be important to us as well. Let's think about it for a moment. What happens when we, in the midst of our challenging circumstances and our trials and our tribulations and our frustrations and our, our anger and our hurt and our questioning, we either refuse to or simply fail to take a moment to rejoice in the goodness of God. What happens? Well, one of the things that happen is we lose track of the fact that God has been faithful to us. We begin to, to allow the lens through which we 
view the world to become tainted by our disappointment in that moment, our failures in that particular moment. And and I'll tell you something, this is exactly where the enemy wants you to be. The enemy wants to keep you in the moment that you're in right now, which will taint the lens that you look through at your whole entire life. And he wants to keep you from seeing clearly. He wants to keep you from remembering that God has been faithful to you, that God has blessed you, that God does love you. This goes back to something I said in the first week of this, this teaching series about God being in control. And yes, God has ultimate authority and God is sovereign and God is overall. Uh, uh, but at no time until Jesus returns is sin in this world completely defeated. And that means we have to deal with the effects of it. Whether it's the sin in, in our own lives or it's, it's the residual effects of choices that we have made or that others have made. Or even if, if it is in our own lives because we have yet fully to surrender our hearts and our lives to Jesus and to be filled with the Spirit of God. And so this choice, this choice to rejoice, it can become a real issue for us. Paul says no matter what you're dealing with, never stop making time to rejoice. He says this will be a safeguard, a measure of protection for your faith. And it protects your faith because we take a moment to remember who God is in all of this. We remember how God has done so much for us. That song that we sang this morning, when I was writing this message, I didn't even know we were going to sing the song. That, that, by the way, is partly how the Holy Spirit works. But the whole idea of raising a hallelujah, raising a hallelujah in the middle of the storm speaks to that truth. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm louder and louder. You're going to hear my praises roar. Can I be real for a moment with you? This is not easy. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend to, to, I I would never want to give you the impression that I am excellent at this. That every time it starts storming in my life, I go, oh, thank you, Jesus. You are so good to me. The reality is, even nights like last night, I laid in my bed, and my mind is swirling with a hundred different things that are going on, and I start to feel this little bit of anxiety, and I toss and I turn, and I keep reminding myself to to rejoice and to to glorify God and to give it to God, but I'm going to tell you, it is not easy. Because our natural inclination is to moan. Oh, woe is me. Right? Something I inherited from my father, and I'm certain that many men inherit from their father, is how we deal with sickness. Um, Now, I know I'm not the only one. Wives, there's no reason for you to comment right now, but... When I'm, when I'm sick, and I mean really sick, or when I'm, I deal with migraines, when I'm dealing with one of my particularly bad migraines, from time to time, one of the things that I will do often, and I realize that I'm doing this, is I will moan. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I had a particularly bad migraine several, maybe more than, more than that, weeks, a couple months ago. It was a really bad one, and it, it took me out for 
almost two days. And uh, I remember, and, and my wife will tell you, she knows when it's bad if she hears this. Oh, oh. And I don't know why I do that. It just makes me feel better, men. You know what I'm saying? It just makes me feel better to moan a little bit. I, I don't know if there's something psychological that's happening. Oh, when we, I don't know what it is. But when we let out that guttural moan, it just releases. I think it releases a chemical in our bodies. And for a brief moment, roughly, oh, I don't know, a second to a second and a half, I feel better. <laughs> but we are all inclined to moan. We are. We're inclined to moan, but we are made to rejoice. But to do this, to be able to rejoice in the Lord in all of our circumstances, there has to be a recognition in our spirit. There has to be a recognition in our spirit and some very practical steps made in our lives to discard the things that do not matter in exchange for knowing Jesus. If you look again at verses 5 through 7, what Paul writes here in chapter 3, he basically gives his spiritual resume. He, he was a very, a very religious guy. He had this pristine religious lineage. He knew and he lived out to Ten Commandments to the finest of detail. And he says in verse 7, he says, I used to think this is what mattered. I used to think this is what was important. But then, Paul says, I realized all of that is worthless compared to knowing Jesus. You see, Paul's basically telling us you have got to shed your stuff for the Savior. You gotta shed your stuff for the Savior. A little refresher for us on Paul. Paul was a Jew who was initially engaged in the severe persecution of this new group of people called the Christians, and he did it out of his devotion to what he believed to be true his entire life. That's what drove him. And on the outside, Paul was this picture of, of Jewish perfection. He did all the right things. He ate all the right foods. He talked to all the right people. If you put, move that to our picture here in 2023, he looked great on the outside. He went to church. He paid his his tithe. He hung out with the right people. He read his Bible. But Paul knew that ultimately those things did not matter. Ultimately, all of his religious fervor and the good things that he was doing did not matter if he did not know Jesus Christ. He says that it was for Jesus' sake that he got rid of everything else to the point that he calls it garbage. I could share with you some of the other words that that is translated as. Translated as in, in the original Greek. I'll just say this, dung. That's what he considered it to be worth. A complete and total waste. And I'd think about that for just a moment and consider what it is in your life that you have considered to be of the utmost importance. What is it in your life that you have placed high, high value on? And then put that up against how important knowing Jesus has been in your life. 
And I would bet that for many of us, there are a laundry list of things that at some point or another, or perhaps even right now, have become so important to us that not only do they consume us, but they have begun to impact how we see Jesus, and most certainly how we see the rest of the world in our own lives. Let me give you an example. For many Christians in America, their allegiance to a political party whether Democrat or Republican or Independent or Libertarian, whatever party you want to name, their allegiance has become so important to them that they have sought to line Jesus and his teachings up with their party platform rather than seeing if their party platform lines up with Jesus' teaching. And that is backward, my friends. Here's another For some Christians, the overwhelming desire to be their own person and to express themselves has become so strong that instead of seeing if the choices they're making in their life regarding sexuality and identity are consistent with the totality of Scripture, which all points to Jesus, they take the teachings of Jesus and they draw singular lines to their own beliefs, seeking to justify what the Bible has called sin in no uncertain terms." Hmm, that didn't get as big of an amen. amen. No longer is the cry of the heart, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Now it is, I want Christ to accommodate my life because I am who I am, and that's what's most important. Come on, that's, that's good. That's what the Bible is teaching us. That's what the Scripture says Consistently. Paul says that it cannot be this way. The beauty of Christ's death and resurrection is that Christ's death buries sin. It buries selfishness. It buries pride and it buries personal agendas. And then we are raised to new life with Christ. And it's in that resurrection from death to sin that power is found. But it begins with making the intentional choice to shed the stuff that you have believed is of the utmost importance in exchange for the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ. Don't forget this today, church. Righteousness is never a product of what you can do, but what Jesus has done for you. In my several week-long effort to say some of the final things that I think are of great importance. Please hear this today. It's not about what you do, but what Jesus has done and continues to do for you. If you could somehow work yourself to a place of righteousness, being right with God and having that connection with him fully restored, then Jesus would have no purpose. If you could do it, what's the point of Jesus? Nothing about Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection would even matter. It it is God's desire to bring restoration to that which is broken. And from the very beginning of recorded history, from the moment that humanity chose sin and selfishness over their fellowship with God, God has been in the business of restoring that which we broke. He did it through Abraham. His promise to bless 
Why? So that Abraham could be a blessing. He did it through the children of Israel who he took out of their captivity. Why? So that they would be a people that could bring change and demonstrate holy living. He did it through his son, Jesus Christ, who came to give himself as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And he has been doing it through the work of the Holy Spirit in the church of Jesus Christ, filling the church with his power, his authority, and his immeasurable love. None of these things were or are today a product of what we have done or what you have done. They're a product of what God and His Son, Jesus Christ, has done and will do. There must be a point of recognition in every person, and there will be someday either in this lifetime or when Jesus returns and we each stand before the judgment throne of God a point in which we realize that what we do or do not do is not what makes the difference. All of our efforts, all of our works, all of our trophies, our accomplishments, they are nothing. They're nothing in comparison to the value of knowing Christ and knowing Him to the degree that it fosters a kind of faith in in you that that can, in the midst of whatever realities you're facing, no matter what life brings your way, whatever the implications of the sin in this life may produce, you can choose to rejoice. And in doing so, Paul reminds us there in that first verse, we are safeguarding, we are protecting the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. This is the most valuable thing. Set your eyes on Jesus. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that we must set our eyes on Jesus as he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. That means that our faith is born because of Jesus, but that our faith also grows and becomes all that it is to be because of Jesus. There's going to come a day for each one of us who are in this space today And each one that hears this message at another time, a day when we are going to have to give an account for our lives. Paul says this in his his letter to the, the Christians in Rome. He says, each of us will give a personal account to God. Now, contextually, what Paul's talking about here is the importance of keeping your nose where it belongs. It's kind of fun. Go back and read this chapter. Paul is saying, and listen, each one of you is going to have a personal, going to have to give an account to God. So you should, you know, mind your own beeswax. I'm telling you. He's cautioning them about being so concerned about everybody else's life that they neglect the spiritual health of their own. That's what he's saying here. He reminds them in verse 11, he says, as surely as I live, every knee will bend to me, says the Lord. And every tongue will declare allegiance, praise to God. You see, everyone will have to give an answer. Everyone will stand before the throne of God. Everyone will eventually see what they may have adamantly denied or questioned or just wondered about all of their lives. So Paul says, make sure, please, make sure that your account, that your narrative, that your story is what it should be. Live your life worthy of the good news. 
Live your life focused on who and what Jesus was and is, not just for you, but for all of humanity. What might happen, church, what might happen in your own life if you just simply adjusted your focus to Jesus? What might happen if you just simply took your focus off of your business and put it on Jesus? What might happen if you took your focus off of your spouse and put it on Jesus? What might happen if you took your focus off of your addiction and put it on Jesus? What might happen if you took your focus off the news and the endless stream of garbage that's coming through our media and put your focus on Jesus? What might happen in your life? What might happen in your family? What might happen in your marriage? What might happen in your business, in your place of work, if you just shifted your focus to Jesus? I think that if we, in whatever context, adjusted our focus to just Jesus, we begin to see things as Jesus sees them. We'd see that things are broken, that things are messed up, but that they're totally fixable. I think that we would see people as Jesus sees them, that they are lost, that they are desperate but that they are totally redeemable. I think we would begin to see the church as Jesus sees it, that it is imperfect. It sometimes struggles, but the church is still his bride, and it is something that he loves so very dearly. Perhaps we'd even see ourselves as Jesus sees us, hurting and confused at times, frustrated, but forgiven. forgiven in Jesus' name, and on the cusp of a new life if we would just simply receive it. My hope and my prayer for each of you and for this church is that you would take hold of the most valuable thing, and that is knowing Christ. Above all things, that each one of you would take hold of the most valuable thing, and that is knowing Christ but you cannot grab hold of knowing Christ and to continue and continue to add other things to the mix. You know, sometimes we have to tell our little ones, Josiah and Ezekiel, that it's time to pick up the toys. And uh, without fail, the game seems to be how much can I possibly carry at once? Inevitably, they don't make it out of the living room because they try to pick up every single toy, every single box, every single pillow, every single stuffed animal, and somehow get those back down to the family room or to their bedroom or wherever it needs to go because that's their, they're like, I want to get this done as fast as I possibly can. Did you know that we do the same thing? We, who are adults and so mature, will often, at some point or another in our lives, will realize the importance perhaps of, of setting our sights and our focus on Jesus. And, and so we will, if you will, we pick Jesus up and we're, we're holding on tight to Jesus and then something else comes along. 
And we're like, I've got to carry this too. I, I've, got to, I've got to take care of this because this is important. And so we pick this other thing up. You know, maybe, it, maybe it's our marriage is struggling. Maybe we're having some communications. So we pick that up and we're carrying that too. And, and then we're dealing with one of our children who there's some behavioral issues. And so we pick that thing up too. But it's all good because we picked up Jesus first. And, and, uh, and we're carrying all three of those things. And, and then uh, we, we start having some financial struggles and we're having trouble paying the bills. And so we're picking that thing up over there. And then, then, our, then our car breaks down. And so we're picking that thing up. And pretty soon we're, we, we, we started out with, with just Jesus. But now we've got just Jesus and everything else. And Jesus says to you guys, if you would just hold on to me, I'll carry that other junk for you. My ability to manage everything else that's going on in your life, every struggle that you face, every hardship that you have, every burden that comes your way, every obstacle that you face, I will carry those things for you. I will lift you through them. I will take you through whatever it is you face if you'll just hold on to me. Guys, this is the most valuable thing. Paul says, you just have to focus on knowing Christ. Why? So that you can experience the mighty power that comes from his defeat of sin in this world. That's the whole thing for Paul. Hold on to Jesus and experience the power that comes from him defeating sin. As we close together today in prayer, as we've been doing these past couple of weeks, we're going to sing in a moment. But as we close in prayer, I'm going to ask you to pray for these things. First, let's pray that as individuals, our lives will be focused on just Jesus. For some of you here this morning, you have never been to this place spiritually at all. Never been there because you've either chosen to reject it or you have questioned it or you're just resting on the idea that you're a good person and that's enough. But Jesus is clear. It is not your goodness or your likability that makes you righteous. He is the one that makes us righteous. And that righteousness, that being right with God, is the only thing that saves us and sets us apart to be citizens of God's kingdom. And for others of you, there's been a season in your life, whether it's a long one or a short one, where it has been just Jesus for you. You've been in that season. You could testify to it today. I remember, I remember pastor going down to the altar and I gave my life to Jesus and man, I have never felt so free and I was, I was living in victory, but that's not the way it is today. You're not there today. And it's, it's not that way because even though you chose Jesus at one point, your ability to choose otherwise has also remained intact. Don't forget this church. Your ability to choose otherwise has remained intact. And well, you've chosen otherwise. Perhaps you've chosen your job, you've chosen your kids, your, your money, your hobby, any number of things, and, and you've chosen those things over Jesus, and they have become your idol. You can't confess to choosing just Jesus and still be choosing something else. 
It's a lie that you're telling yourself. You're probably telling it to others, but God knows your heart. Let's also pray together for this church, that this church and the Big C Church will begin to simply set their hearts and their eyes on Jesus alone. And let's pray that the church would not be distracted by what is happening in our world to the point that we begin to lose sight of the one who has redeemed us from this world. And one day, Jesus is going to come and rule this world. That we would not be church pulled under by any circumstances, regardless of how challenging those circumstances may be, that it would take us to a place where we would stop chasing Jesus. Church, if there's anything, if there's anything for you to chase, don't chase a new pastor, okay? Don't chase a new pastor, don't chase new staff people, don't chase new ministries, don't chase new buildings, don't chase anything but Jesus, and I believe with all my heart, church, that if you will just chase Jesus, he will answer every, every other request, every other need he will fulfill, every other desire he will hear. If you will just chase Jesus, church, every obstacle that may come across your path, he will take you through it. Maybe not over it, maybe not around it, he'll take you through it. Just chased Jesus. That is the most valuable thing. I'm going to invite you to come and pray with us this morning around these altars as we've done the past couple of weeks. The team's going to sing for us in just a moment. We're going to close out our service. But if you'd like to come and join us at these altars, I invite you to come right now. Go ahead and make your way up here as the team comes up. And we're just going to begin to pray together, pray for these things, praying for our families praying for our own lives, praying for this church. Heavenly Father, you are good, you are good, you are good. Father, I know in this place this morning there are some here who are not in a relationship with you. There are some in this space this morning that maybe for a long time, as we said just a moment ago, have rejected, have questioned. Perhaps some who have just thought, I'm a pretty good person. So what's the big deal? God, would you convict us this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit of the sin that is in our lives, of our, of our need for your saving power, of our need for that shed blood. 
Father, I pray against the spirit of pride and the spirit of selfishness. God, would you break those spirits in this place today? Pray against the spirit of offense, Father. Against the walls that we put up around ourselves and in between those who you have called us to love, those you've called us to serve, Father. Pray against a spirit of anger, Father, that is realized in ways that is sin. The anger that exists in our relationships and our in our homes, Father, the, the marriages that are struggling and the anger that comes out in those marriages, the selfishness, Father, and the pride that exists in those relationships, the unwillingness to lay down their lives for the other. Father, I pray for the Church of the Nazarene in New Philadelphia, Ohio. You have a great vision, a great future for this church. Your work is not finished. The key to that, Father, is a church that will set their focus on you and you alone. And so, God, I pray that the I pray, Father, that whatever it is that causes people to resist, Father, that you would break that through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that whatever it is that causes people to hold back, that you would break that, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that this church would enter into a new season of a kind of hunger that it has never seen before. And I pray that you would fill in a mighty and powerful way the pastor that will come and will lead them into the next season of their life. That whoever he or she may be, Father, that they would be a passionate and purposeful pastor who would be unashamed to speak the truth of Scripture and to love with an unfailing love. And God, I pray for the church that will be looking for a pastor when one chooses to come here. That they, Father, would be a church that would pursue you with the same kind of passion. God, I pray for the leadership for our church board. Father, I pray that they would, they would humble themselves before you first and foremost, that they would not allow their own desires, their own agenda to invade the important work of searching for a new shepherd, God, but that they would be coming to you and pleading with you and asking you, God, what would you have for us, and that they would listen and hear that.
I pray for Pastor Matt and Pastor Miranda that you would give them wisdom beyond their years and you would give them discernment as they navigate this transition time and give them patience and help them to use their time wisely to rightly divide their time, the rest that they need, Father. God, this morning I pray for, for Dave and Allie, and I just pray that you would guide their steps, that you would provide for them, that you would show them your love, that they would receive it. God, I pray that whatever this church faces in the, in the days and weeks and months to come, that they would, as Paul instructs us, never forget to rejoice, that they would choose to rejoice in an effort to safeguard the faith that they have in you, to be able to hold tight to the promises that they have from you. <clears throat> God, I pray that the spirit of celebration, the anticipation of who you are and what you're going to do will not ever be lost in this place. that we as a church will chase you and that we as individuals will chase you with all that we have. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you sing with us this morning?